Life is filled with contrasts, isn't it? A few weeks ago with this sermon in mind, I was thinking of some examples of contrast in our world that we are all familiar with. And one that came to mind immediately was this one. There's the thrill of victory and the what? Agony of defeat, right? If you're a sports fan, you know this all too well, right? We witness this at times. You got one team with their arms raised and another with their heads down. Here's another one. From rags to riches, right? From rags to riches. How many of y'all have heard a story about someone who's gone from the poorhouse to the penthouse? Anybody heard a story like that? Or Yeah, yeah, we're all familiar with those stories. We talk about the haves and the what? Have-nots. Those who are well-to-do and those who have next to nothing. Uh, how many of y'all have heard this phrase? From the cradle to the, from the cradle to the grave, right? Referring to the, the span of time, from the beginning of life to the end. When you got married, how many of you made a vow to your husband or, or wife for richer or for poorer? Most of the time it's for poorer, right? In sickness and in health. Yeah, our world is filled with these kinds of contrast, and we witness them on a daily basis. And guess what? As we study God's Word, we find that His book is filled with these contrasts. In fact, to help us better read and understand His Word, we have to have a good handle on these contrasts that we encounter in His Word. The contrasts of good versus evil. God and his angels versus Satan and his demons. Heaven and hell. Light and darkness. Salvation and condemnation. The path of the righteous and the path of the godless. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 7. We're back in Acts this morning and we are going to be looking at verses 54 through 60. We are finishing the story of Stephen this morning. And though many often gloss over this passage that we're going to camp out in this morning, thinking that the narrative is is pretty simple, pretty clear, there's not much to draw out, not many principles that you find here, what we're going to learn is that there are a whole lot here. One thing you find as you study this passage is that there are some great contrasts that Luke makes between Stephen and his accusers. And the contrasts here are as extreme as any of the ones I just mentioned. Heaven and hell, light and darkness, good and evil. But before we jump in, let's do a brief review. For those of you all who have missed the sermons on Stephen, you're at a bit of a disadvantage because for three sermons already, we have talked about this great hero in God's story. And though we don't have time to do a a detailed review of his life and ministry, I'll do the best I can the next few minutes that we have, okay? We, We have learned already in Acts that the church has grown. It grew to be so large that it started to have all of these organizational problems. So the the apostles decide to select seven men 
for leadership to help handle some of the issues in this mega church. So they selected men with good reputations, men who were mature spiritually, men full of wisdom, men full of the Holy Spirit. And of all of those men chosen, the first on the list was Stephen. Now, though Stephen was a Jew, we learned that he was a Jewish transplant. He was not originally from Palestine. He was a Grecian Jew. And he had moved back, or his family had moved back at some time or another to Jerusalem. And we learned that not only was he a strong leader within the church, but he was also a committed follower of Christ in the world. On top of handling all the various responsibilities in the church, Stephen apparently was taking God's gospel message out into the world, ministering to Jews like him, the outsiders, those those transplants from other areas, those Hellenists, the the Grecian Jews. So he begins to, to take the gospel to these foreign Jewish assemblies, these synagogues of these Grecian Jews, and it upsets many of their leaders. So we're told that they rise up and argue with Stephen, and we are told that they're no match for Stephen when they try to do that. So what they decide is, hey, we can't beat him in an argument, so we'll just attack his character. And that's what they do. They accuse him of speaking against Moses, against God, against the law, against the temple, the four pillars of Judaism, because Stephen is preaching that salvation is in Christ alone, that the law doesn't save. It just shows our need of Christ. And they didn't like that. Because of that message Stephen shared about Christ, they said he's anti-Moses, anti-God, anti-law, anti-temple. And so Stephen is asked to defend himself against these charges. And in Acts chapter 7, we have Stephen's sermon, where he begins by defending himself. You see, Stephen was a man of integrity. He was about what is right and true, and those charges made against him were not right. They were not true. So he defends himself, and he speaks highly of Abraham and of of, of. Joseph and Moses and of the law and of the temple. But as he's doing that, he's also turning the tables on his accusers. He turns the table on them and he accuses them of being God's enemies. Because like their Jewish fathers before them who rejected Joseph and Moses, he says, you guys have rejected God's man, the one these guys promised would come. You've rejected the Lord of glory, the Lord Jesus, the Messiah. Stephen is clear that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David and others. He is God's promised Messiah whom they killed. Then he says in Acts chapter 7, verse 51, he says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. And what he means here is he's saying, You hard-hearted, godless people who refuse to bow your hearts and your heads to God, he says, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. You betrayed and murdered the righteous one, the Lord Jesus. We're going to learn in our passage today that that application that Stephen makes 
leads to his death. We're told that after he said these things, they were in a frenzy. They were absolutely furious with him and wanted to kill him. But we see, though that's the case, in the midst of this, Stephen is completely calm, completely at peace. Because the joy of the Lord is his strength. And there are great contrasts that we see here between this angry, Christ-hating mob and this man of God. So what I want to do this morning as we explain this text is, I want to draw out these contrasts that we see in this story between Stephen and his accusers. And I also want to make some applications along the way. Notice the first contrast we see. Number one, though the mob was full of anger, Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. How about that contrast? Look at verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. Stephen's accusers were furious. You see, they prided themselves in their obedience to God. They claimed to love the law and God's prophets, and they frequented the synagogues and God's temple. And Stephen, in a matter of moments, turns the conversation from him being the enemy of God to them being his enemy. And they didn't like that one bit. At first, they were listening to Stephen's sermon, probably nodding their head in approval because he's speaking highly of Abraham, highly of Joseph, highly of Moses and the law in the temple. He's reciting their history. I'm sure there were a few amens. But then they begin to see where the conversation's going, where the sermon's going. And as they hear that, I'm sure their blood started to pump. Their hearts started to race. And when Stephen finally turned the finger on them and showed them to be God's enemies because they betrayed and murdered his man, his Messiah, Jesus. They were full of fury. Notice it says at the end of verse 54, they ground their teeth at him. They are angry. You see this pattern a lot in the scriptures at times God's people will go to a group of people and they're they'll share with them God's message of mercy and grace and they may go more than once but then if they do not respond favorably to that message then comes God's message of judgment and this is not always the case but a lot of times it is that if a group of people don't respond favorably to God's message of mercy and grace they do not respond favorably to his message of judgment people often respond to God's message of judgment with anger and hard-heartedness don't believe me just read the prophets and you'll find that to be true And that's what we have here in Acts chapter 7. Many of these Jews had witnessed firsthand the ministry and teachings of Jesus and his disciples. They'd seen the mighty works that God had done through his apostles and through disciples like Stephen. And though Stephen had been traveling around from synagogue to synagogue sharing this great message from God of his mercy and grace and the fact that salvation is made available to us through repentance and faith in Jesus, they rejected that message. And so in Acts chapter 7, Stephen's message moves from mercy and grace to condemnation and judgment. He moves from inviting them to indicting them. 
And because they didn't respond favorably to God's message of mercy and grace through his servant Stephen, they certainly do not respond favorably to his message of judgment. Instead, they get mad and they grind their teeth at him in anger and they set their minds on killing him. They are so full of fury, full of anger, that they can't even speak. So they just grind their teeth. You know someone like this? Someone so angry with God and Christ and his people and his church that they, they, can't even, they can't even talk about him. They can't even talk about them without this look of disgust on their face. If you know people like this, you need to bring them before the Lord. Pray God would be merciful to them. Share Christ with them. Show Christ to them any and every chance that you get because they might just be on the brink of judgment. It might almost be at that place described in Hebrews 3. In Hebrews 3, the author says, Do not harden your hearts, lest you obtain an evil heart set on unbelief. That's the way those in the crowd were towards Stephen. They had an evil heart set on unbelief. But look at the contrast. Look at verse 55. This is wonderful. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. I I love that, right? What what a wonderful contrast. They were completely undone. They, They had lost all control of their emotions, torn apart by anger, and Stephen is completely filled, totally controlled by the Holy Spirit. Remember in chapter 6? We said that one of the reasons why Stephen was, was chosen to be one of the leaders in Christ's church was because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And here, at the end of Acts 7, we see nothing's changed with Stephen. Remember Paul said in Ephesians 5 that believers are to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Stephen was. You know, many of our spiritual lives are, are, are so up and down. We're we're soaring one minute and we're sinking the next and we just come to accept it as the best it's going to be. May that never be. May we never settle for status quo Christianity. We're not to settle for that. Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. How many of y'all in here are familiar with Transformers? Anybody? A few of you? That's a, that's a, switch, that's a contrast, isn't it? <laughs> Going to Transformers. Uh, I haven't seen the movies or anything. I played with them when I was in that. You know, I grew up a kid in the 80s, so, the, you know, we have those in the 80s, kids. Transformers were, they're, they're not new, they're old. And um, you, those of y'all that know about them, they're, they're robots, and they transform into planes or trucks or cars and then back into Robots, you know, and as a kid, you're you're constantly transforming them to, you know, this truck or this plane or this car and back into the robot, back and forth and back and forth. There was even one in the 80s that transformed into a boombox that played cassette tapes. So that kind of, that dates it a bit, all right? But we all wanted it. 
We all wanted it. And I, I played with them as a kid, constantly, back and forth. I was transforming it into something familiar and then something distinct. Something familiar, something distinct. Oftentimes, we can be like that in our Christian lives. We transform and we conform. Conform and transform. Transform one minute, conform the next. Back and forth, back and forth. Paul says in Romans 12, verse 2, this is not to be true of us. It's not. There's not to be this just teetering back and forth and back and forth in our spiritual lives. Instead, what God wants from us is a continual progression headed in one direction. Now, do we mess up? Yes. But we're messed up by messing up and we move on. We're like Paul in Philippians when he said, I'm not perfect, but I'm pressing on. I'm not yet there, but I'm striving in moving to be more godly, more like Christ. And that's what we have here with Stephen. Was he perfect? No. But, but it seems as if during his Christian life and ministry, he was constantly moving forward in the power of the Holy Spirit toward Christ's likeness. And this is to be the direction we're moving as well, believers. So though the mob was full of anger, Stephen was filled with, under the influence of, guided and directed by the Holy Spirit spirit notice the second contrast we see here though the mob was spiritually blind stephen had spiritual sight look at verse 55 but he stephen full of the holy spirit gazed into heaven and saw the glory of god and jesus standing at the right hand of god now before i get into explaining this a bit further i want you to notice that there is a clear and simple application to be made by us right off the bat here listen when times get tough who are we to look to stephen shows us we're to look to the god of glory and his son the lord jesus christ you see from the outside looking in it appears as if the deck is stacked against Stephen. But thankfully, Luke doesn't give us that perspective. He gives us the perspective from the inside out. And we see that Stephen has God on his side. He is full of the Holy Spirit and has the glory of God shining upon him. Remember, he had the glow of God on his face? And he has the, the Lord Jesus standing ready to usher him into his kingdom. Let me ask you this. In light of all that, who on earth does Stephen have to fear? Nobody. Absolutely no one. Though the situation got tough for Stephen on earth, he simply lifted his eyes up above his circumstances into the heavens toward God and toward his glorious future and believers we're told to do that as well in the storms of this life it's been a tough week for a lot of folks praise be to God that we have the response our response what our response should be given to us in his word what we're to do is we're to lift up our gaze above the circumstances and look toward and rely upon our glorious future believers in Christ. Stephen did it. And when Stephen looked up, we're told that God pulled back the curtain in the skies. And Stephen saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at his right hand. He's one of an elite few, we're told, who got to see this. Stephen got a glimpse from this life into the next. And notice, we're told Jesus was standing. Now that's unique, isn't it? 
because usually he's described as sitting at the right hand of the Father. Why is he standing here? Well, we're not told specifically, but uh, uh, there are different reasons given. I agree with the commentators who say one reason Christ is standing is to help Stephen through this trial, right? He never leaves us. He doesn't forsake us. He's with us in the, in the difficulties of life, and Stephen got to see that. Another reason is he is getting ready to greet him in glory, and Stephen sees him. What a vision that would have been, right? And I believe that Stephen sort of gets caught up in this vision. He forgets about these guys who want to take his life. And he says, behold, I love that. It's kind of funny. He's like, look, guys, you know, they're wanting to kill him. He's like, hey, check it out. I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Well, when Stephen said that, that did it. That was the final straw. They absolutely lost control at this point. And the reason why is because these were very familiar words. Jesus said something similar when he was on trial. Remember, they accused him of blasphemy as well. And they they brought false witnesses against him as well to make these false claims against him. And when the high priest asked him in Mark 14, 61, are you the Christ? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. Stephen makes a similar claim here. And in verse 57, we're told, after he said this, they cried out with a loud voice, stopped up their ears. They started yelling out, closed their ears up. They snatched him up to kill him. Blind, blind, blind. They were blind. Spirit-filled Stephen had seen God's glory and Christ standing at his right hand and the mob full of Fury saw nothing but Stephen. And they viewed him as a blasphemer. They said he was the deceiver, deserving of death. And notice the mob, like they were with killing Christ, they were unified in wanting Stephen dead. These Jewish leaders, though they were considered great people in their communities and great people by the standards of this world, they were blind spiritually. Remember what Jesus said about them? He called them blind guides. They're blind leaders of the blind. That's exactly who this group of guys were as well. They were, they were spiritually blind. But, but Stephen, he had spiritual sight. He had eyes to see, ears to hear. This leads us to our next contrast. Notice, though the mob wanted death, Stephen got life. Look at verse 58. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now, though they were enraged and they wanted to kill Stephen quickly, there are several things they do here to make it legal. Leviticus chapter 24 verse 14 said that if you were going to stone someone, it had to be done outside the city. In Leviticus 24, 16, it said that stoning was the punishment for blasphemy. And though uh, Stephen wasn't guilty of this, they believed that he was. So they, they convicted him of that. And what had to happen next was 
you had to have two or more witnesses, and apparently they had a few there. And in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 7, we're told the hand of the witnesses shall be first upon him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of the people. So the men who were witnesses against Stephen also functioned as his executioners along with the rest. So they're going by the book here. They're they're very, very calculated so that they can do away with Stephen and not have anything come back upon them. They find him guilty of blasphemy, kill him outside the city. They have the right number of witnesses who are also acting as his executioners and were told that they laid aside their garments. Now, why did they do this? They wanted to take off whatever might bind them so that they can really let the stones fly. That's why they were doing that. You see the anger here in their actions? They hated Stephen. The reason why they hated Stephen is because they hated Jesus. Because Stephen's message and his ministry was focused upon Jesus, and his life looked just like him. So they hated Stephen because they hated Jesus. But we we learn in this text that though they intended to kill Stephen, they couldn't because Stephen had been promised eternal life in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus said this. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Stephen believed in Jesus, and though he was killed, he was given life. I make mention of this a lot when I preach at at funerals for believers. I say, death is just transitional. Paul refers to it as sleep. It's, It's transitional. It's going from one life into the next, and for a believer, it's going out of this world and into the presence of the Lord. That's why in verse 59, while they're stoning Stephen, he called out and said this. He said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. That right there, folks, is the hope of every believer. Amen? One day, the Lord is going to receive us in this way. So Stephen saw Christ standing at the Father's right hand, ready to receive him, and he entered into his presence on that day. And and notice, there are a lot of similarities here between Stephen and Christ. We mentioned a few earlier, but we see one here. When Jesus died, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And here Stephen says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Though his body was stoned to death, his spirit, the immaterial part of him, went to be with the Lord on that day. And folks, let me say this. The immaterial part of us is the main part of who we are. Do you know that? You can remove my arm, I'm still me. Remove my legs, still me. Kill my body, you still haven't killed me. Though they killed Stephen's body, they didn't kill Stephen. Same is true for us. Believers, one day our bodies are going into the ground, but our spirits are going to be with Jesus. There's going to be a day when our bodies will be made new and we'll be reunited with our spirit, and once again our whole self will be with Christ forever. But until then, Paul says, 2 Corinthians 5, 8, that a believer who is absent from the body is present with the Lord. And get this, though Stephen died a terrible death, where he went to next was better by far. There was no comparison between the two. 
They wanted to punish him by killing him, but what they gave him was better by far. Remember Paul said, to die is gain. What a perspective. He said in Philippians 1.23, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Stephen knew that as well. He knew where he was going. He knew who was standing, ready to meet him. He knew the place where he was going and the person he was going to be with, and that was better by far. There was no comparison. And again, his story gives us hope, believers. It does. Because one day we're going to be able to say the exact same thing. Lord, receive my spirit. I'm coming home to be with you. So the mob wanted death. Stephen got life. There's one last contrast I want you to see before we close. Notice this. Though the mob hated Stephen, Stephen loved and forgave them. Look at verses 58 through 60. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul... And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. There's a lot here. But notice first the phrase in verse 59, as they were stoning him. This was not a quick process, folks. This took time. They would throw stone after stone after stone after stone after stone until life was gone. That's what they were doing to Stephen. And my guess is they loved every minute of it. They wanted him to suffer because they, they hated Stephen. But, but notice that what Stephen does in response, just incredible. They have all this hatred toward Stephen. And in verse 60, we're told as he was being hit, he got to his knees and he prayed, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Once again, sounds very familiar, right? Christ, as he was being crucified, prayed for his persecutors, did he not? He prayed to the Father and said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Stephen prays something very similar here. While they're killing him, he prays that God would show great mercy and grace to them. As we learned a few weeks ago, Stephen was considered a man full of grace. And he shows that here. He says, Father, forgive them, show mercy to them, show them your grace. Folks, Only a spirit-filled, Christ-like man of God can love like that. There was a man by the name of George Wishart who was a committed Christian who was being put to death for his faith. And history tells us that before his death, he went over to his executioner and kissed him on the cheek and said, Lo, here is a token that I have forgiven thee. Only a Christ-like man of God can love like that. Christ loved like that. Stephen loved like that. What a a testimony. All that hate towards Stephen, and there is nothing in Stephen's heart but love. And, And then notice how this chapter ends. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. What what a peaceful way of putting it. 
Stephen fell asleep right into the arms of Jesus, didn't he? And, and notice this as well. Though we don't know what happened to most of the executioners after killing Stephen, we do know the fate of one, don't we? Notice in verse 58, we're told that the executioners laid down their garments at whose feet? Saul's. Saul of Tarsus, later to be known as Paul the Apostle. He was there at Stephen's martyrdom, looking on in approval and and may have even been one of the ones leading this mob to put Stephen to death. And so we, we learn here that God did answer Stephen's prayer, right? Stephen prayed for God to show mercy on his persecutors, and we know that he showed great mercy and great grace toward one of those. He shows it toward Saul. Augustine once said this. Look at this quote. I love this quote. He said, the church owes Paul to the prayer of Stephen. I love that. Paul was a gift to the church, God's gift to the church. God called him out, used him in a mighty way, and God answered Stephen's prayer by saving Paul. How awesome is that? Don't you love that? I do. And I love Stephen. Don't you? I I think the reason why I love him so much is because he's so much like Jesus. Jesus was full of the Spirit. So was Stephen. Jesus was full of wisdom. So was Stephen. Jesus was full of power, so was Stephen. Jesus was full of grace, so was Stephen. And Stephen was the way that he was because of Jesus. Stephen came into this world, a sinner, condemned, unclean, but he had been changed from the inside out due to the accomplished work of the Lord Jesus. And as a result, Stephen was able to forgive much because he had been forgiven much. And folks... He will forgive you of much. He will. Maybe you're here this morning, you're thinking to yourself, there's no way God could could ever forgive me. There's no way he'll have anything to do with me. Listen, though I, I don't know your situation personally, I'm pretty sure you've never killed Christians. Am I right? Am I right in saying that? Paul did. And Stephen prayed. For God to show him mercy, and God did. God did a work in Paul's life. We're going to learn about that in a few weeks. Paul gave his life up and over to the Lord Jesus. He was never the same in a good way. And though God used Stephen to take the gospel out of Jerusalem, God used Paul to take the gospel all across the known world. And he will use you in a mighty way today. But for that to happen, you've got to first give your life up and over to him. You've got to turn from your sin. You've got to give your life up. You've got to give your life over to the Lord Jesus. If you've never made that decision, I pray you would before you leave here today.